Okay, Maxwell, whenever you're ready, go ahead and get into numbers 26 and 27. All right. <clears throat> A reading from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 27. The second census. After the epidemic, the Lord uh, said to Moses and Eleazar, son of Aaron, take a census by families of the whole community of Israel, of all men 20 years old or older who are fit for military service. Moses and Eleazar obeyed and called together all the men of that age group. They assembled in the plains of Moab across the Jordan River from Jericho. These were the Israelites who came out of Egypt. The tribe of Reuben, Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob, the clans of Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Kadami. These clans numbered 43,730 men. The descendants of Palu were Eliab and his sons Memoel, Dithon, and Abiam. These are the uh, these are the Aram who were chosen by the community. They defied Moses and Aaron and joined the followers of Korah when they rebelled against the Lord. The ground opened and swallowed them, and they died with Korah and his followers when fire or destroyed 250 men. They became a warning to the people. But the sons of Korah were not killed. The tribe of Simeon, the clans of Nemoil, Jamin, Jakin, uh, uh, Zerah, and Shal. These clans numbered 22,200 men. The tribe of God, the clans of Zaphon, Hagi, Shilni, Ozni, Eri, Arod, and Arebi. These clans numbered 40,500 men. The tribe of Judah, Judah, the clans of Shela, Perez, Zerah, Hezron, and Hamul. Two of Judah's sons, Aaron Onan, had died in the land of Canaan. These clans numbered 76,500 men. The tribe of Issachar, with its uh, the clans of Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron, these clans numbered 64,300 men. The tribe of Zebulun, the clans of Sered, Elon, and, Yadi, and Jalil, these clans numbered 60,500 men. The tribes of Joseph, who was the father of two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, the tribe of Manasseh. Machir, son of Manasseh, was the father of Gilead. And the following clans traced their ancestry to Gilead, the clans of Ezer, Helek, Azrael, Shechem, Shemida, and Hefer. Zalafbehad, son of Hefer, had no sons, but only daughters. Their names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Midka, and Tirza. These clans numbered 52,700 men. The tribe of Ephraim, the clans of Shuthela, Bekher and Tahan. The clan of Aran traced its descent from Shothela. These clans numbered 32,500 men. These are the clans descended from Joseph, the tribe of Benjamin. The clans of Bela, Ashbel, Ahiam, Shephufan, and Hofam. The clan of Ard and Naaman traced their descent from Bela. These clans numbered 45,600 men. The tribe of Dan, the clan of Shoham, which numbered 64,400 men. The tribe of Asher, the clans of Imna, Ishvi, and Beria. The clans of Hebar and Malkiel traced their descent from Beria. Asher had a daughter named Sarah. These clans numbered 53,400 men. The tribe of Naphtali, the clans of Jazil, Guni, Jezer, and Shilem. These clans numbered 45,400 men. 
The total number of the Israelite men was 601,730. The Lord said to Moses, Divide the land among the tribes according to their size. Divide the land by drawing lots, and give a large share to, to a large tribe and a small one to a small tribe. The tribe of Levi consisted of the clans of Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Their descendants included the subclans of Libni, Hebron, Mali, Moshe, and Korah. Kohath was the father of Amram, who was married to Levi's daughter, Jochebed, who was born in Egypt. She bore Amram two sons, Aaron and Moses, and a daughter, Miriam. Aaron had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered unholy fire to the Lord. The male Levites, who were one month or older, numbered 23,000. They were listed separately from the rest of the Israelites because they were not given any property in Israel. All these clans were listed by Moses and Eleazar when they took a census of the Israelites in the plains of Moab across the Jordan River from Jericho. There was not even one man left among, among those whom Moses and Aaron had listed in the first census in the Sinai Desert. The Lord had said that all of them would die in the wilderness, and except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun, they all died. Daughters of Zelophehad. Malal, Noah, Hogla, Nilka, and Tirzah were the daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hepar, son of, of Gilead, son of Makir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph. They, want, they went and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leader, and the whole community at the entrance of the tent of the Lord's presence and said, Our father died in the wilderness without leaving any sons. He was not among the followers of Korah, who rebelled against the Lord. He died because of his own sin. Just because he had no sons, why should our father's name disappear from Israel? Give us our property among our father's relatives. Moses presented their case to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, But the daughters of Salafahad request is right. Give them property among their father's relatives. Let his inheritance pass on to them. Tell the people of Israel that whenever a, a man dies without leaving a son, his daughter is to inherit the, the property. If he has no daughter, his brothers are to inherit it. If he has no brothers, his father's brothers are to inherit it. If he has no brothers or uncles, then his nearest relative is to inherit it and hold it as his own property. The people of Israel are to observe this as a legal requirement, just as I, the Lord, have commanded you. Joshua is chosen as a successor to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Go up the Abarim mountains and look out over the land I am giving to the Israelites. After you had seen it, you will die, as your brother Aaron did, because both of you rebelled against my command of the wilderness of Zin. When the whole community complained against me at Meribah, you refused to acknowledge my holy power before them. Meribah is the spring at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses prayed, Lord God, source of all life, appoint, I pray, a man who can lead the people and can command them in battle, so that your community will not be like sheep without a, her a shepherd. The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a capable man, and place your hands on his head. Have him stand in front of Eleazar the priest and the whole community, and there before them all proclaim him as your successor. 
Give him some of your own authority so that the whole community of Israel will obey him. He will depend on Eleazar the priest, who will learn my will by using the Odium and Thummim. In this way, Eleazar will direct Joshua and the whole community of Israel in all their affairs. Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. He had Joshua stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole community. As the Lord had commanded, Moses put his hands on Joshua's head and proclaimed him as a successor. Thank you so much, Maxwell, for reading this today. So we see um, in chapter 26, this, uh, this um, kind of another census of Israel, right? Um, so the people of Israel, they're approached with the equation of the acquisition of the promised land, right? Elazar, um takes another census to determine the number of uh, of able warriors in each tribe, right? So this census was a visible sign of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, uh, that, of course, that his descendants would become a great nation, as we see, right? So uh, there are many, many members, um, we kind of see this, kind of parallel, right? The the many members of the Catholic Church in heaven, in purgatory, and on earth testify to uh, the dramatic truth of God's promise to Abraham. And we see this in here as we read. And very interesting as we go into um, chapter 27, we see that this, a, a, a kind of a decision was made, right? Uh, to allow daughters to inherit their father's land uh, in the event that he had no son, um, ensuring that the property would stay within the same family or tribe. Um, sinful, actually sinful in inequalities based on gender, offended, uh, gendered on gender, offend the equality, the equal dignity of men and women, as we see here. Um, we see that uh, the Lord, the Lord communicates to Moses when uh, it was time for him to die, right? So, um, we can see this back in uh, Numbers chapter twenty. So before his death, God allowed Moses the privilege of casting his eyes upon the promised land from mountain top. So, at Moses' request to God appoints Joshua to succeed Moses as the leader of Israel, and Moses handed on his authority to Joshua through the lame on hands. So you might um, recognize this, right? This gesture is among the liturgical use uh, signs used in the Old Testament, and it is, of course, um, very integral to the form of the sacrament of holy orders. Um, of course, so the sacred power of the priesthood is conferred there, right? And we can see this um, going going into uh, the, the priesthood, how, how beautiful this is. That is, I unfortunately don't have too much to say on this, uh, but 
That is numbers 26 and 27 for today. Um, if there is any question before we move on to Proverbs. Um, too much, but we will be seeing a lot um, a lot going into numbers tomorrow. Um, offerings. Um, and we'll be going through. If you don't have any questions, Jimena, whenever you're ready, Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5. Wearing against impurity and indefinitely. My child, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, so that you may hold on the prudence of your lips, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of the loose woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But the end of the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-legged sword. Her feet go down to death. The her steps follow the path of Saul. She does not keep straight to the path of life. She, her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, my child, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep keep your way from her. Keep away from her. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or will, or you will give your honor of others. And your years uh, to the merciless. And strangers will take their fill of wealth, and your labors will go. The house of the alien and the end of the life of the, will grow. You will groan, and your flesh and your body will are consumed. And you say, "Oh, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof." I did not listen to my voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. Now I am at the point of utter ruin into the public assembly. Drink water from the from your own sinister. Flowing water is the own well, should, should, and the springs of the scattered abroad. Springs, streams of water in the, in the streets, let them be in yourself alone. And not to sharing with strangers. Let your your fountain be blessed, and rejoice the the wife of your of your mouth. A lovely deer is graceful doe. Make her breast satisfy you of the of your times. May you intoxicate always her love. Why should that be intoxicated, my son, by another woman? And embrace the blossom of their of, of an adulteress. For human ways are under the eyes of the Lord, and He explains all their paths. The inequities of of the wicked ensnares them, and and they are caught in the tolls in the toils of their sin. They they die for the lack of discipline, and because of the they, of their great folly, they are lost. Thank you so much, Jimena, for reading. So we see that <clears throat> this Proverbs here is um, about the forbidden woman, right? And we'll see that um, there's going to be this continual um, two more poems on the forbidden woman that we'll see. So 
there's a stranger, right? He's talking about the stranger outside of the social boundaries, right? And we'll see that the other poems are chapter 6 and 7. Of course, as we go into tomorrow and read this. So, we see that this proverb talks about um, having understanding, right? And discretion, there, uh, there's these necessary like these necessity necessities right to avoid um adultery and um when not using understanding discretion um you can be led astray right and be um bitter and just um leads to more sin of course in these evil ways um it destroys honor and uh life right we see this um, proverb talks about how it despoils hard-earned wealth, right? And it brings remorse. And, and um, I'm sure many of us have experienced when, you know, we try to find satisfaction in other things um, than our Lord. We have this remorse of self, right? Um, and Thomas Aquinas talks about how when we do sin, you know, we are punished by we are punished in threefold three ways the first is by ourself the remorse of conscience and this is so true here as we're reading right um and we see also continues to talk about how fidelity and love bring happiness and security we know this right as we continue to talk about how um the lord brings ultimate happiness he brings true happiness we see that this structure um, it consists of this two-line introduction. Uh, one, it consists of three stanzas of four lines, each warning of the forbidden woman's effect um, on her lovers. And then we see this part two. It consists of a stanza of 12 lines exhorting the disciple to marital fidelity. Right, And then we see it ends with six lines on the perils of the woman. Oh, very interesting here, it begins, uh, we see verse 4, but her end is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. So we see that even when the, su- the sinner looks for gratification, right, when we look for other things, we know, as I, as I just mentioned, he doesn't find the fruit of his sin pleasant. We don't find this, right, uh, we are... In remorse, we are still f- uh, empty, right? Uh, wisdom of God, uh, we see this here and in this proverb. It says, bread of deceit is ple- pleasant to a man, but after he eats it, his mouth will be filled with gravel. And continuing, we see honey drips from the lips of an adulteress, and for a time it tastes sweet, but in the end you will find it more bitter than gall and sharper than a two-edged sword so of course we eat this um sin and we are pleased for a little bit right but when it's too late um it cuts our soul off from god um we reject it right but unfortunately the fool does not know that those who are cut off from god shall perish it's something we, we forget about this um so fitting so true yesterday um in the sermon at mass my my priest talks about how um we wish that the lord wouldn't exist for a while 
right just turn away lord i want you to um not see this this moment of darkness i'm about to commit i want this um i want my time with this sliver of darkness as, as you might say um but in the end we know that we are left empty we are left unsatisfied again because we see time and time again that only the lord will satisfy we have a jesus shaped the hole that only he can fill of course so um we see this again um this water and it's so interesting of what we're going to read today in the gospel um we see this mention of water a you and a garden fountain a well of living water right so um it can have these these meanings of eating and drinking can be metaphors expressing the um neutrality of love right so the wife is on the opposite of the adulterous woman she's not an outsider not unfeeling um not a destroyer um and so we see the best defense against adultery is appreciating and loving one's spouse right um it's combating these um vices with virtues right appreciation and wisdom um we always want to fight any type of temptation or thoughts of these vices that we get we always want to um fight them with virtues so um if someone struggles with jealousy it's very important to combat that with uh gratefulness you know or maybe um you're feeling neglected, right? Um, it's very important to say, well, uh, thank you, Lord, for, you know, letting, um, or, you know, just thanking the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this friend. You know, thank you, Lord, for this friend, for having other friends, right? Um, and in those ways, as we see, as this proverb tells us, um, fighting these uh, these vices with virtues. Again, the best offense against um, these this evil here that we see is appreciation and love, um, and loving wisdom, right? So we see really throughout this whole um, proverb that the teacher extorts fidelity in marriage as well as fidelity to the truth manifested in God's commandment, right? So um, just as a spouse must be must guard against temptations or temptations perilous to marriage um, so must we guard against false teachings that can endanger our faith in god's revelation right again staying clear of um, these evils and um, being attentive and aware to what goes on around us that is proverbs Six, oh, five sorry for today we have any questions anything and anyone anything that stood out to anyone um again in this way we can um just continuing how we're talking about the lord satisfies us right we must find every moment to grow in virtue grow in love and wisdom of him and um when we desire him, we just desire him because he's God and give him glory. Um, that is that is where we find our happiness, right?
So, going into the gospel for today, we are on John chapter 4. So, we have here um, Jesus and the woman of Samaria, right? So, the woman at the well. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, and so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give will become in him a spring of, of waters welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place that where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worship will worship what true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I speak to you, am he. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that, that he was talking with a woman, but none said, What do you wish, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city. And said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city, and meanwhile, and, and coming, and were coming to him. Meanwhile, 
the disciples begged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and see how the fields are already white for harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed in because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. So um, we see here that the original 12s, 12 tribes of Israel that settled in Canaan eventually divided themselves into a um, southern kingdom consisting mainly of two tribes and based in Jerusalem and a northern kingdom, which consisted primarily in other 10 tribes and was based in Samaria and in the 8th century BC, Assyrians conquered for the northern kingdom, exiling a portion of the tribes and assimilating through intermarriage uh, many of those who were allowed to stay. So the southern kingdom, likewise, uh, suffered a partial exile at the hands of the Babylonians a century or two later. So we see that during this time, uh, a certain divergent beliefs and practices developed developed uh, between the two groups um none more continuous than the site of the true temple so samaritans they built a temple on mount gerizim right we talked about this a little bit so they believed that this was the site that god had intended as the place of central worship rather than jerusalem and then this this temple was destroyed in the 2nd century BC by the Jewish king. So, um, we see that the Samaritans, they only recognized the Pentateuch as their sacred writings. And so, they were largely unfamiliar with wisdom, literature, and the writings of the prophets. And the Samaritans themselves, they preferred to be called Israelites and believed that they were the true heirs to Moses. Um, and we've talked about this, the of how there kind there's some um, enmities between Jews and Samaritans, right? So, in Christ's time, we know that they openly despised each other, and they were often hostile to one another. We've seen this as we uh, talked about um, the Samaritans in the past. So, uh, the Lord he he had to pass to Samaria, um, and at this time of Christ, there were. Uh, two main routes from Judea to Galilee, one that followed the Jordan River and a shorter route 
that went through Samaria. Uh, and because the Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean, they would normally take the longer route, right, not to go into Samaria. What's interesting here, we see that Christ is worried, right? He's worried. And we know that he's human in every way but sin. And he experienced uh, human conditions here of fatigue, hunger, and a thirst. So we see highlighted here uh, the human things he experienced. Remembering that he, of course, is like us in every way but sin. And have um, this encounter. We go into this encounter with the Samaritan woman, right? It really holds a lot of significance. Um, of course, is I continue to say Jews did not speak to Samaritans. Um, of course, they were considered heretics and sinners. And so, um, for a Jewish man, especially a rabbi, they would never talk to a woman in public. Um, especially if the woman was a Samaritan. There was kind of um, this sense that the impurity of the Samaritans would extend even to the water from a Samaritan well, the water that um, they were drinking. And see, uh, the Lord, he talks about this living water, right? Christ, he was referring to the life-giving water of the Holy Ghost and the water of baptism which would bestow a true happiness, right? So among the well springs of prayer, we can draw, we, we can draw Eucharist, or, uh, we can draw water is the Eucharist, right? scripture and the liturgy, um, as well as the practice of theological virtues. And we see this here, um, how we can have this uh, life-giving water that he brings, right? Interesting, uh, we have this mention of the five husbands, right? So, the woman's life story, it serves as a um, apt allegory for Samaritan history. So, uh, during the years of Assyrian conquest, five foreign tribes intermingled with the Israelites of the former northern kingdom and each introduced to the region its own deity or Baal, if you remember. Um, and this means lord or husband. So uh, if we might remember that, of course, the three patriarchs in the Old Testament, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, they each uh, met their future wives at a well. Um, if you might remember Genesis 24, chapter 24, uh, Genesis 29, Exodus um, chapter 2. So, allegorically, Christ, he could have been seen as an encouraging, uh, as, as encouraging the Samaritans to repent of their sins and inviting them to commit themselves to him, the bridegroom and the one true God, right? And, of course, do see this. And going further, we see that um, the woman, she says, I perceive that you are a prophet, right? So, kind of because of his divine nature, Christ can read the human heart. Right? He uh, made a great impression on this woman, and as Samaritans recognize only Moses as a prophet. And Samaritans, again, believe that Mount Gerizim was a site where Abraham nearly sacrificed 
um, his son Isaac and where Joshua was told to build an altar to make peace offerings to God. We see that the Jews uh, is uh, the Lord, as Jesus says here, the Jews had greater knowledge than the Samaritans about the coming of the Messiah because they had uh, the testimony of the prophets and inspired inspired wisdom literature. And of course, we see that the Samaritans reject this. They don't um, hold this. They don't know about them. And we see this uh, reference here. Um, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Um, a, this is kind of a this kind of subtle reference to the covenant destruction of Jerusalem, right? So, in the new covenant, worship would be bound neither to Mount Gerizim nor to Jerusalem. But to Messiah, to the Messiah, as the living and the new and living temple of God. That, of course, knows no end. And as we see here again, the Lord goes into saying, You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. So even in the Pentateuch, the Messiah was said to be from the line of David, who himself was the tribe of Judah. And we, of course, have uh, covered this. Um, if you might remember in the beginning of Luke, how the Lord is, of course, um, from this tribe, and uh, he is also um, heir to the Davidic throne. And we see that he is both um, a divine king, and this Davidic king. And so interesting here, we have uh, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Nowhere else in the Gospels was Jesus more explicit about his identity as the Messiah. He said it right here, I am, I am he. She said, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And he said, that's me. <laughs> Very explicit here, nowhere else is he like that. Um, just coming up and saying it, right? So we kind of see this interesting here. She left her water jar, right? The first apostles who left their uh, fishing boats to follow Christ. The woman, she leaves behind her water jar to proclaim the gospel that she had heard. So this detail, it corroborates the need to renounce all things to witness effectively to the truth of the gospel, leaving everything behind. To go and tell everyone about the Lord. He's standing here before us. You know, let us drop everything and go do that. You know, we see verse 34 when the Lord says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Christ, he embraced fully his father's will and plan of salvation right and um, he was nourished and he was strengthened and nourished by it and closing out this passage of uh, jesus and the woman we see um these people they say the samaritans say to the woman it is no longer because of your words that we believe for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. 
So note how the Samaritan woman's regard for Christ grew until it finally cultivated in moving conversion. Right? So in a sense, her knowledge of him deepened as she perceived him as in the fallen away, right? As a prophet. And uh, so this is uh, verse 19. And we see that she perceives him as a prophet and then a Messiah. Twenty verse twenty nine, a few verses later, and then finally as a savior. So very beautiful here. So then we have Jesus departs for Galilee. After the two days, he departed to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done. In Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So Jesus' return to Galilee brings this section really to a conclusion with a second sign at Cana, right? So the cure of the cure of uh, that we'll see here going forward, um the official sign really has these parallels with the centurion's request. Um, for the cure of his son as we or child as we see in Matthew. And we'll go into this in just a minute. Um, so going forward, Jesus heals a, an official son. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When he heard that Jesus had came, had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was living. So he asked them the hour when he began to mend. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour where Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign Jesus did when he came. He had come from Judea to Galilee. So. Of course, the official was likely a pagan member of Herod's court, yet even his faith in Christ's word was sufficient enough for the healing um, for his son to take place. And we see this time and time again, um, faith, right? We have to have this faith. And the Lord's ministry is really about forgiveness and healing. And we see this um, twofold here. So, again, this, um, how... We see this parallels in Matthew, right? That synoptic story it concludes with a contrast between the faith of the centurion and the lack of faith that Jesus finds in Israel. So there's a similar contrast is enacted during uh, this uh, Joanne narrative, right? Um, we have just witnessed that these uh, that we have just witnessed the spectacular response of the Samaritans. Right? And so here, the curing of the official's son, it culminates in what kind of appears to be in a stock epitheth for early conversion stories. Right? He believed in his whole household. Right? And we'll see this again um, 
things like this in Acts chapter 10, 11, 16. We see this a lot. And then we going into going into chapter 5 tomorrow of John. Uh, Jesus' next miracle in Jerusalem will invoke some hostility. So we see also that verses 43 and 45, um, as we previously read, they are kind of awkward here. So the evangelist, he kind of appears to have inserted a traditional saying of Jesus. Right? We see this in Mark chapter 6. The prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And then Luke uh, chapter 4, no prophet is welcomed in his own country. So it's kind of, he inserts this into kind of an otherwise positive scene, right? So some exegetes conclude that Judea is Jesus' own country, although the hostile use of Galilean is to accuse Nicodemus of being a follower of Jesus. Um see this in chapter 7 and so it kind of hardly supports the view that the evangelist was confused about the country of jesus's origin so we see that luke's version of the rejection of jesus at nazareth um shows a similar tension right those who welcome jesus's words turn against him so it appears that the evangelist john here is looking toward the conflict between jesus and the galilean crowd in uh, chapter 6 we'll see this tomorrow where he will again pick up a sequence of materials and uh, we'll find parallels in mark 6 and 7 or from mark in 6 and 7 um and has created kind of a transitional passage by inserting this um saying here of verse 44 so we see this story right the official sons healed um and this story has a kind of a variant of the healing of the centurion's child. Again, there are a few verbal parallels between John and Matthew and Luke. So it kind of makes this episode um, evidence of independent synoptic like um, Joannian tradition. So uh, there's all these versions. They locate the episode at Capernaum. Um, and so the son in John and the slave in Luke could, or the child could, uh, both be variants of a tradition that originally had um, pious or child, which could mean either an offspring or a slave. So whereas Matthew and Mark make the um, petitioner centurion, and consequently, of course, a representative of Gentiles coming to believe in Jesus, John's version has a royal official, presumably Jewish functionary of Herod's court. So this interaction between the petitioner and Jesus varies, right? Luke and John have a second scene. In Luke, the father sends friends to dissuade the petitioners from bothering Jesus. In John, the servants meet the father to report the boy's cure. So in Matthew and John, it correlates to the father's belief, right, with this healing of the boy at the moment Jesus speaks. So John's version also, it uses the second scene as an opportunity to emphasize the word 
of Jesus, in which, of course, the man believed by repeating both words and the affirmation that he believed. To this repetition, it's kind of linked to the conversion of the whole household, right? And we only see this in John. It's unique to John. So that is John chapter 5. That oh, No, John chapter... John chapter 4. <laughs> um, for today, there is any questions, comments, anything that stood out to anyone, please feel free. If not, we can... Or even so, be able to close in prayer.